right? I mean, they were people that, and they did not get to see the promised land, but God still took care of them. And they still complained, you know. Well, they needed a new pair of shoes somewhere along the way. Didn't match their tunic that day, I don't know. Yes, sir. Right. Yeah, the, yeah the, he provided, and, and like I've said before, it's easy for us to look at them and uh, and to say, how ridiculous was that that they didn't obey after all he provided, and yet we have been we've been blessed more than they could ever imagine being blessed. We don't have one pair of shoes in 40 years. As somebody said over here, that'll be in trouble with his wife. Some of us have 40 pairs of shoes in one year. But we're all blessed, and yet we still forget. And there's that part in Deuteronomy when he says, when you enter into the promised land and you begin to get blessed, and you begin to have new stuff, and you don't have, you can eat meat anytime you want it, and the rivers are flowing, and you've got all this stuff, and you had to work the land in Egypt to make the food grow. The food's just going to grow. When all that happens, and you start make, getting all this stuff, don't forget the Lord. And the idea there is that it is very easy when you get satisfied to forget who is providing. And there's no nation in the history of the world that needs to hear that lesson more than us. Anything else? Deuteronomy. Yes, Brenda. Yeah. So so you have there are a couple of things that are in Deuteronomy. There's the place where that they will have generations will be cursed, if you will, or they will have um, the God will not bless them because of the actions of that. Then you also have a section in there towards the end of what we read where God says, don't make a son pay for his father's crime or a father pay for the son's crime. What you have there are two different things. One is the father and the son. is What he's saying there is a legal system. Don't hold the father accountable for a crime the son committed. In a spiritual way, we talked about this I think in Genesis, I think what what is understood there is God saying, when you may have sin and you disobey, especially in some of these areas that I've specified, there will be consequences and ramifications that will pass down for generations. Not that he, not that I, I don't think that he's actively going after the fourth generation, that that'll happen. Now, I think it also points to that that there will be. Um, Generally, and you can see this even in our day, generally families that begin to walk away from the Lord, their children walk farther than they did, and their children walk farther than they did. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it's a progression. Now, that's not always true, but and there are some very godly people that have children that walk away from the Lord. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that, that generally... Unless God steps in supernaturally in a in a way, or that person comes to a conversion experience, it's a gradual walking away. And God in in Deuteronomy, Moses, God through Moses is really warning them against. Listen, don't just think about now. Think about the consequences that will happen if you choose to do these things. Um, for instance, the illegitimate child that for ten generations cannot enter into the temple. It really was more of a deterrent. Listen, that you don't need to do those kind of things. Um, the idea that that uh, if a there, there, you know, there are all those rules about sexual relations and marriage and all that. And there's that rule in there that if a man uh, gets a girl pregnant or sleeps with a girl um, and 
she's not married or engaged to him or anybody else, then he has to pay and marry her, and he can never divorce her. Well, why would that be different than... One of the reasons is to deter that from happening on the front end. If he's thinking, well, if I do this, then she's mine for life. Because that was... If you made that decision before marriage, she was his for life. Then it's a... uh, it was a deterrent. Does that make sense? I mean, that, that was saying this is serious what you're doing. I mean, you imagine if that was the case today, that uh, teenagers, if you know, 20-year-olds, whatever, if they had relations, they were bound for life. Well, that yeah, they would be less bound for life, right? Other questions, observations. There's something out there. A couple things I was going to touch on, and I've forgotten them. Let me look back. If you've got questions, just yell out at me while I'm looking down. Oh, there was one thing. One of the things that you do see in here is a high priority put on marriage. Now, for some of the things they say in there, you think, well, that doesn't sound like a high priority. It gives them a letter and says, we're divorced. We're divorced. But there is a high priority on marriage. One of the things I thought was very interesting is uh, it's on April 3rd, um, and it's, uh, Deuteronomy 24.5. It's just an interesting thought. It says that a newly married man must not be drafted into the army or be given any other official responsibilities. He must be free to spend one year at home bringing happiness to the wife he has married. One of the things I think that shows is the importance of that first year of marriage, right? And what it's just, it's not saying that he shouldn't have a job. It's just saying, that it's not healthy when you get married to then be separated for long periods of time. It's, it's something that you need to have importance. And for a group of people that's about to go into the promised land and have to fight, there are going to be a lot of those guys that were getting married saying, you can't fight. So it was a sacrifice for the nation, but it was because of the strengthening of the families. And I just think that's an interesting thing, that families were more important than military strength at that time. Also, right above that in 23, chapter 23, verse 22, this interesting thing, it's not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you've made it, do it. Right? Just some interesting laws in there. Even the laws about how to relieve yourself. Protected the camp, right? Can't have Relief happening inside the camp. It would not. What's that? Take your shovel with you. Yes. I told I told him this afternoon in the office. When you're in preaching lab at uh, seminary, you can pretty much guarantee it's going to be a cut and dry introduction, three point sermon, heavily on the text, conclusion. You've got 20 minutes, and you go in there and you knock it out and get your grade, and you go home. I had a guy. And I, it's one of those things that I, I hate to admit. I don't even remember his name, but we were good friends for that semester. Um, and he was kind of, I guess, y'all may, y'all may find this hard to believe. I was kind of um, not your normal seminary student. Um, I, I didn't fit into the mold of a normal seminary student. Uh, not in a bad way. I just wasn't normal. And, uh, and believe me, I am perfectly fine not being a normal seminary student. But... Uh, he wasn't either, and so we kind of bonded. 
And he got up and preached on that passage in preaching laugh, leaving it outside the camp. I don't remember his name, but I remember the title that he did. And he, it was good. I thought, boy, I might preach that sometime. That was good. I don't remember what he said now, except that I preached on Hebrews 12. Run the race, set before you, because I wanted an A. So somebody raise your hand in the back. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and I, here in specific, he's talking about, what you have to understand, too, is you have to, there's a difference between God bringing the judgment and mankind normal judgments. And what I mean by that is these laws are being laid out so if a crime's committed and they're brought to you, who do you punish for the crime? That's different than when God looks at the nation and says, you've sinned in a major way and or go take them out. But it is an interesting distinction there uh, because they um, there were times where young ones were killed in the midst of punishment for their disobedience. What you also have to remember here is there's this real sense that they heard the laws from Moses at Sinai and thereafter and that they kept them kind of going. But you're dealing with a whole new generation that were not part of that generation that disobeyed. And so you'll hear Moses kind of the idea, don't make the mistake your parents made. Don't do what they did. You're a new generation. You've got to choose. It's an interesting Dynamic in the turnover of leadership as well. I mean, Moses um, is trying to kind of bridge that generational gap, saying these are just as important for you as it was for your parents. Remember why they got in trouble. And so you have that idea behind it, and this speaking specifically in a judicial sense. Generations, most people think, were, were 20 to 40 years, somewhere in there. We know that nobody here was over 60 because they were all under 20 when, because anybody over 20 died before they went to the promised land. So you don't have anybody over 60. And so that means you've got from 60 and down, and you've got a, the largest percentage of that population would have been uh, 45 and down. So you had a really young group that would have been, I mean, you know, speaking of as a nation, Average age probably in the 20s, 30s. Um, so they were really young. If they were 34 or younger, they were extremely young. All right. All right. Any other questions, Deuteronomy, before we go to Luke? We covered a lot of Luke in the last two weeks, too. All right. Let's go to Luke. Any questions you have? Things you noticed? Stories? Some are repeats, but Luke adds a lot of stuff that the others don't have in Matthew and Mark. And just for your knowledge, when we get to John, it's a completely different kind of gospel. Anything in Luke? We'll start with uh, he's chosen the disciples and they start to go out. Um, there's that one of those misunderstood verses in Scripture in Luke chapter 6. It's on March 25th. Maybe just walking through it will help us a little bit if you've got questions that you've got and get to them. One is the whole... Um, don't, you know, the speck in your eye versus the law. The speck in the other person's eyes versus the log in yours. You've heard that. How can you call for a speck in somebody else's eye when you've got a log in yours? Here's the verse that people don't say. It says, first get rid of the log in your own eye, which is important. But then what does it say? And then you'll help to be able to see the speck more clearly. The idea there is one of the things that people say is, 
that when Jesus said do not judge, he means that we can never make um, observations about other people in their spiritual walk. I don't think that's what the New Testament teaches at all. Uh, you hear that all over the place. People that aren't Christians, you can't judge me. Only God can judge me. And the truth is, in the salvation sense, that is correct. Only God knows. But there is this sense as Christians, believers, who people that claim to be believers in Christ, they ought to be accountable to one another. And that there are times when I might be able to see the speck in your eye that I can help. I need to make sure my heart's clean and I'm doing it for the right reason. But that doesn't mean that I don't still look at that. All right? Other things that come up. Anything else in this Luke passages? Luke is one of the books that I think teaches spiritual warfare as much as any other book. Um, you have uh, a couple of instances in there where he, uh, you have legion in there, right? Where he goes and the guy's got legion. Legion means many. You've got that teaching where Jesus, that strange teaching where Jesus says, when I cast an evil spirit, it goes out in the desert and looks for a new host. And when it can't find a new host, it returns and finds that its life's been swept clean, that there are seven stronger demons that have come in. Um, Y'all figure that out however you want to there. Uh, You've got that passage where he sends the 72 out. Um, He sends his disciples out, and one time they can't do a whole lot. They come back and say, "We we can't do anything. And another time they come out and said, even the demons obey, illnesses go away. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. The idea there is that spiritual warfare is happening and that Satan's being defeated. Any passages in Luke that you particularly liked or spoke to you? April 2nd, Luke 9. Yes. You know, they... Let me look at something real fast, Kathy. Yeah, there was um, some manuscripts. You know, remember I talked last week about there's some these... Scribes try to add things sometimes uh, to help. There were some scribes apparently later that added as Elijah did there. This idea that that punishment ought to come. There's some that think it relates back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, chapter 9, verse 54, where, Matt, where James and John, who were the sons of thunder, saw how Jesus was treated and said, let's just destroy the town. That's what you're supposed to do. You also have this understanding that the disciples very much still thought that they were going to march into Jerusalem, take their swords out, Jesus was going to provide somewhere along the way, and build an army and overtake Jerusalem for the Jews. And so for them, the natural thing to do, these sons of thunder, is let's do away with that town. Um, And Jesus rebukes them and says, that's not what we're about. That passage, that entire passage is interesting because, um, you know, he goes to Samaritan village and the people did not welcome Jesus. And part of this is because it's a Samaritan village, and they wouldn't have liked the Samaritans. They would have been looking for an excuse. And so they, Jesus says, no, they, they went on to another village, and as they were walking, someone came up to him and said, Jesus, I'll go with you wherever you will go. And Jesus says, no, you won't. Foxes have holes. Other animals have places to stay. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You're not going to follow him. And then immediately after that, another guy comes up and says, uh, he says to him, come follow me. And the man agreed and says, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Now that sounds like a normal request, doesn't it? And that just sounds like, of course, that's you need to do that. Jesus says, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to come follow me. Now, 
you read that, it seems awfully harsh. Right? Right? But you have to understand, their custom, that would have been a month-long process. And it probably should have already been completed. Um, and so it wasn't like Jesus was saying, you shouldn't go bury your dad. But he was just saying that, that that's not priority in your life right now. And it is pointing to the fact that when it comes to following Jesus, and this is a difficult teaching, whether it is in Luke or whether it's in our lives, that following Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. The next guy says, "Let me," you know, he says, "I will follow you, but let me first say goodbye." And Jesus says, "Anyone who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom." It's kind of like in James when James says, "If you're double-minded, you will not receive." It's the idea that you're half committed. I, I'm committed, but. I'm committed if. And the whole idea Jesus is bringing out there is it has to be full force commitment. Not, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Other things in Luke. Yeah. Ask about God who's into the house and he doesn't wash his hands. Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus ever baited the Pharisees? I mean, don't you get the sense that sometimes he goes in and he goes, I know I'm supposed to wash my hands, but washing my hands is not the most important thing they need to hear right now. What will open up the discussion? What if I don't wash my hands? Okay, I won't wash my hands. And so then they come out and say, hey, 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 wait, wait a minute. You didn't wash your hands. And he said, well, I'd rather have my inside clean than to have my hands washed. Right? Anybody ever gotten a cup? out of your cabinet and it clean on the outside and you get ready to pour something in there and as you're pouring or as you look there's something all on the inside, right? If you poured it for somebody else you have that moment of decision whether you're going to tell them, right? Right? Okay. If you poured it for yourself you get your new cup, huh? Yeah. It's not going to kill Eli. He'll be alright. It's a lot of work to pour that in there. Um, anyways, you know, so his point is, what good is the outside of the cup clean if the inside is dirty? And so I think that specifically he was kind of baiting them, you know, kind of saying, all right, let's see if you take it. And they did. And uh, he gets on to them pretty good there. I mean, he he blames them for the death of all the prophets because they should have had more knowledge. He tells them that not only are they not entering heaven, they're preventing people from going to heaven. It's as if you've taken the key to heaven away because you put this burden on people. So, well, no, he, I think there was intentionality with everything he did. Yeah, yeah. Now, he's smart. He could, he could come up with stuff, but he was intentional in that moment, my, my belief. All right, anything else in Luke? Yes, Miss Betty, before the baptism. Okay, we don't have any idea. We know that they knew each other. We know that, um, I mean, obviously they, they, they were around each other probably growing up um, because of the relationship that, that their moms had. Um, we know that John the Baptist knew who Jesus was that he knew his role as the forerunner for Jesus 
but we don't have any description in there of how they that developed or that understanding. We just know that when John the Baptist shows up on the scene, he's preaching that he is the forerunner and that repentance will come and one will come after him who is better than him and he's not worthy. And then Jesus is baptized by him. And then we see those moments in their ministry where there is some interaction. We have John the Baptist asking, sending some disciples when he's in prison, just making sure. Um, I don't. I'm not so sure that John the Baptist. I know that he. I know that Scripture teaches that he knew Jesus was the Messiah, but I'm not so sure John the Baptist had a full understanding of what that meant. Does that make sense? I mean that. And so you have that moment of doubt where he sends disciples to find out about who Jesus is. You have In the reading we did here in the last few days, Herod that thinks, didn't I kill that guy? What's this Jesus guy? I thought I got rid of him. You have people mistaking the two of them, not because John the Baptist ever said that, but because um, just people in their nature. So I don't know if that gives any clarification at all, but that's, that's all we know, Brother Miss Patty. Anything else? All right, what about the Psalms? Proverbs. One of my favorite Psalms was this week, and that's Psalm 73. And I'll tell you why I love this Psalm. is because it encapsulates where many of us are in life sometimes. That was on April 1st. And you have this statement at the beginning, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. And then for a while he says, But I almost lost it. I was slipping. I envied the proud. I saw that they didn't get hurt. They live painless. Their bodies are healthy. They don't have troubles like people I know. They're not plagued with problems. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace. They clothe themselves in cruelty. These fat cats, I just love that it says fat cats. Fat cats have everything they can whisper. They scoff and speak. They boast against the heavens. People are dismayed and confused. What does God know? Look at all these wicked people enjoying a life. And I ask myself the question, did I keep my heart pure? For nothing. Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long, every morning. And I love this. He says, I was thinking that, but I never followed that. Verse 15. If I had really spoken this to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prospered. But what a difficult task it is. Verse 17. Then I went into your sanctuary, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. You put them on the slippery path. You send them sliding. In an instant, they are destroyed. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as the person laughs at dreams in the morning. Has anybody ever laughed at a dream you had in the morning? When I realized with my heart was bitter, I was torn up inside. I was foolish, ignorant. I must have sensed like a, seemed like a senseless animal. Yet I still belong to you. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. Verse 26 is one of those verses that you can put somewhere on a mirror or in your car. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. 
It's just one of those psalms that we all have those moments in our lives that we think, you know, I almost messed up or I have messed up, but when I went to the sanctuary of the Lord, that doesn't mean you came into the sanctuary. That means you went into the presence of the Lord. When I went there, I realized how foolish I was and that God is my strength. Um, There are days in my life when reading that verse is important, that my health may fail, my body may grow weak, but my strength can always be in the Lord. Just a real encouraging psalm in days of difficulty or in days when you can look back on days of difficulty. And then there's the verse for all you pet lovers right after that, Proverbs 12:10. The godly care for their animals. I see my sound technician nodding her head strongly upstairs. All right, anything else? In our two weeks of information, speak now or forever hold your peace. Here's the whole message of Deuteronomy. Since we've finished Deuteronomy, I'm going to give you the whole message because you'll finish. Next week we're going to talk almost exclusively about Joshua unless you just have a burning question. Okay? God chose his people. The people must choose God. And if you want to look at a theme throughout Scripture... Is that God chooses us, but we must choose God. Now, there are people on all sides of theological spectrums that would agree with one side of that, but not the other. I'm glad to live in the ambiguity and the mystery of right in the middle of it. Now, God has chosen us, but He also requires we choose Him. Over and over again, Moses says to the people, You didn't do anything to deserve God choosing you. There wasn't any reason God should have chosen you. You weren't the strongest or the best or the most powerful or the richest. He just chose you because He loved you. Right? But then immediately it says, Thou choose this day whom you will serve, or God will do away with you. There's also a sense of mercy. One of my favorite verses, in all, or one of my favorite parts of Moses' sermon, it says that even when you find yourself in a foreign land, and you are under the rule of somebody that is not God, not somebody from your own. And when you find yourself in that place where things won't grow and the heavens have shut up, if you will remember these words and obey them, God will rescue you, He will bring you back, and He will establish you again as His people. And the truth is that we serve a God who throughout history has been merciful and gracious to people that do not deserve it in the least. And I'm glad that I'm one of them. In the book of Deuteronomy, in all of those rules that are laid out and that scary nature of it, which it is, we remember that God still cares and is there waiting for us to return to Him, which is always an exciting thing. All right? Do we finish Luke next time? See, next time we meet, it will be April 14th, right? No, we'll still be in the middle of the week. We'll be ten chapters into Joshua. A lot of fun stuff in Joshua and Luke. So, all right? One more question, all right? There were some tablets that were that were written down. Uh, yeah, but there would have been, it wouldn't have been a book like we have a book. But the, some of it was written down. There, there were some parts of it that were placed in the Ark of the Covenant, yeah. In the, and so you have 
um, Josiah, which we'll get to, rediscovering the book of the law and saying, whoa, (laughs) we aren't doing this. And so it was written down. Now, the primary method was what he says in Deuteronomy, talk to your children about it. And the idea there, writing on your wrist, put it on your forehead, write it on your doorpost. Now, some of the Jewish people took that very literally. And so you would have had uh, Pharisees walking around with what it would look like boxes hanging from their head, almost like a hat, and it would have been attached to their forehead. And they would have had things tied to their wrist because they would have placed them on their bodies, put them on their forehead. Things would have been written on the doorpost. What God intended there was not so much you've got it laying on your forehead or your wrist, but put this into your life and pass it on. Um, Even in the psalm, one of the psalms we read, it says, and God commanded them to teach the next generation who would carry it on for generations. So the primary way that it was taught was orally, let's remind ourselves of what's happening. They they wouldn't have had, unlike us, who can have 40 churches in a 40-mile area, and we've all got a copy of the same Bible that we're able to share, they wouldn't have had that. So they would have had to sit around the campfire and say, let's remind ourselves what happened in Egypt. All right? We're done. Good week. We are finished with the Pentateuch when you come back. Most of us are. We won't ask next week how many of you still got catching up to do. All right? Y'all have a great week. We'll see you next week.